It's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 2. It's all fun and games until you slide down an icy hill naked. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm Doc Cross, your host, and I hope you're all doing well. I want to thank you for tuning in again. Things around here are going all right. It's very hot outside, very hot, over 100. So my faithful dog, Sasha, and I are not venturing out much over the next couple of days. And my wife, Grace, will not be venturing outside much because she either works from home inside the air-conditioned house or goes into work a couple of days a week, which is also air-conditioned. And she doesn't have to walk the dog. Gaming around here has been, well, there hasn't been. Our D&D and pizza group got uh, postponed last Saturday, so we're going to try again this Saturday. And the other group I play in is still on hiatus till probably July. Both groups are really, really looking forward to getting back to -to face-to-face play. But we are, of course, still haunted by that eternal gaming group problem scheduling. It's just the fact of life once you get to a certain age. Very hard to line everybody's schedules up. Anyway, now it's time to get things started. So I first want to thank all of my wonderful patrons over on Patreon for helping support this podcast. Thank you, Daring David, Amazing Avis, Bombastic Bruce, Jolton Jane, Magnificent Marion, and Mystical Mark. Y'all are super, and I love you. Thank you very much. Now, before we move on to the next segment, I want to address something I should have talked about in Episode 1. This is not a PG-rated podcast. I will be saying naughty words, especially in the next segment. So, kids, if you're out there and you're listening, try to deal with your parents when they act all shocked that they're hearing words like fuck and asshole and shit and things like that. You've heard them all because you go to public school or private school. It doesn't matter. But your parents are going to freak out about it. Now we get on to Confessions of a Dungeon Master, Part 2, Becoming a Rules Mechanic, or The Rules and I Fight It Out. You know, I normally read these pieces verbatim as I wrote them, with a few little changes here and there, but this time I'm just going to riff on it because it covers a lot of stuff and it's actually quite a long piece that I wrote and I want to conserve a little bit of time. Going back to the early days of D&D, like my first game that I ever played in, that was November of 1976, and we were playing with the original little white box, and we had a killer DM in his Death Trap dungeon, where I went in seven times with seven different characters and got killed every time, as did everybody else in the party, because that guy believed that it was a game where somebody had to win, and the DM was the guy doing the winning. Anyway... I learned a lot about the game, and the main thing I learned was the rules were unclear, incomplete, and poorly written. Nowadays, there are some old-school revival people who will tell you, oh, that first D&D, that was a good one because you had to figure out how to do things. Well, you know what? Fuck that. If I'm paying for a set of rules, I want the rules to tell me how to do things. And uh, those early D&D books were basically crap. Uh, People built D&D in spite of the rules, not because of them. Later editions were better, but they still had problems. And the big problem for me and a lot of other people was they're based on war games. Now, I had never played a war game in my life at that point. I haven't played any war games since, and I don't really feel a need to. 
I appreciate watching guys play war games and the trouble they go to making the terrain and stuff like that, but war doesn't interest me and refighting old wars interests me even less. So, before I ever cracked open that freshly printed 1977 Holmes version box of D&D goodness, I knew I'd be changing a few things. And the first thing I wanted to change was that nutty way they were doing armor class. Now, in what non-wargaming world is no armor not armor class zero? I mean, no armor, zero armor. Pretty damn logical, isn't it? Apparently not for wargamers or Gary Gygax, but whatever. So I redid the armor class. You know, I just started with zero and worked my way up. And my players appreciated it. Even the players who had been playing D&D for a while, and they suddenly said, You changed the armor class? Uh, Why did you do that for? And I said, Because the other way was stupid. And yes, I know all about Thacko and all that stuff. To hit armor class zero, yeah, well, I didn't use it. Now, there were a few other things that I did not like about D&D, and the most glaring one was how they treated wizards. Because at low level, first level, wizards were powerless wimps who were at death's door most of the time. They got one fucking spell, maximum of four hit points, unless they had some sort of racial bonus or high physical attribute, crappy weapons choices, and my thought was, really? Why the fuck would any young wizard ever leave his master's home if he had to face the cruel world so ill-equipped? Why would a wizard send out his flimsy young student to find the magical MacGuffin of Wonder when he probably was going to die? And they did. Now, that was mostly done for play balance, because... A powerful wizard at right at the start would kick ass. As, you know, you go up in levels, wizards get very powerful, and pretty soon they're more powerful than the fighters and everybody else. So at lower levels, they were weakened to let the other classes get a chance to do something. Well, that really didn't make sense to me either, because you could just put in some sort of monster that wasn't affected by magic. Or... You could put in some restriction on how many times a day you can cast a spell, which they did. One spell, once a day. And yeah, here's the other stupid thing. Once you cast a spell, you would forget it. You had to read your spell books. It means a wizard was lugging his spell book around. Oh, and the other thing I tossed out really quickly. Spell components. Yeah, so if you want to cast a few spells, and if you're a higher level wizard, you're carrying around pearls and diamonds and bits of this and bits of that and feathers and God knows what else just so you can cast your fucking spell. Did you lose your pearls? Did you lose your feathers? Guess what? You can't cast that spell. So I got rid of spell components. Now I let the wizard still have to wave his hands around and say things for most spells. Then I made the other big change. I went from the maximum of four hit points to an extra hit point on top of that and They got an extra level of armor class because of their cloak, which I figured if you're a wizard, you're going to have a pretty tough cloak because you need all the armor you can get. Now, the next thing I figured out was that an apprentice wizard would learn read magic. That's probably the very first thing he'd learn. And then the second thing he'd learn would be detect magic. Because if you're a wizard and you can't detect magic, what the hell are you doing? I treated those like skills, so they just got them. Then I thought, logically, that they would be taught some sort of protection spell because they're wimps. So I gave everybody shield. Then after that, I thought, well, we'll give them one other spell. So most of them would choose something like magic missile or sleep. And then they were ready to go out and do their adventuring. They were never going to be up front in a fight, but at least they had a better chance of survival that way. Now that still left us with the problem of the Vancy and magic bullshit where they forget their spells after one use. So I decided that casting spells was actually fatiguing. 
and you could do it a couple of times, maybe once for each spell and maybe one for the road. And then, if you were a wizard, you would have to take a couple hours rest or a restorative potion of some sort before you could cast any more spells. Because if you tried, you just pass out. Now, of course, casting spells more than a couple of times, if it was an emergency in a pitched battle, I'd let them do that. But then it would knock them on their ass. And once they were knocked on their ass, they would need eight full hours of sleep or a healing potion. Maybe a couple healing potions. Anyway, by fourth level, I started to let them not get so fatigued, but there was mental strain. So if you were casting, say, fourth or fifth level spells or whatever, or more than one or two third level spells in a row, you would get both tired and mentally weirded out. Casting a really high level spell could actually put a wizard into a mild coma if they weren't ready for it. And then as they went up in levels, this mitigated somewhat, but it never really went away. Eventually, I found out about spell points. And I said, hey, that's the best idea there is. Give them spell points. At low levels, they have, say, one spell point for each spell and an extra, just like I'd been doing. But once the spell points were gone, then they really had to rest for several hours to get them back. Now let me pause right here and say something about spell points in D&D. There is no fucking difference between spell slots and spell points other than TSR Watsy stubbornness. I heard people from TSR years ago at a convention, not Gen Con, another convention, come right out and say, well, spell points don't really work. And then second edition came out with spell slots, which do pretty much exactly the same thing. So, yeah, don't give me that bullshit about spell slots. Now, some of the other changes I made for wizards was to let them have, if not different weapons, at least better weapons. So all wizards had a staff. That's just like government issue. That's what they got when they left their master's house. And the staff was made of ironwood. So I took the stats for a regular staff, the damage stats, and I bumped them up by two points. So if you got clocked in the head, it would do two points more than a regular staff. So that was a good gig. Now, if they had the money, which they usually did because they weren't buying spell components, a wizard could find a craft person and have him trick out their staff with hidden daggers, a sharp pointy end clad in metal. Uh, One guy even did an acid squirter. So, you know, wizards could be a little more dangerous. They still didn't want to take a big hit from anything, but they could hit somebody worse than the standard TSR wizard could. And finally, while I accepted the no metal armor rule for wizards, because that did kind of make sense, I did let them wear leather armor or armor made from non-metallic substances. And players got very good at coming up with substances to make armor out of. One guy had wooden armor, and another guy had shark skin armor, which was actually amazingly tough. By the way, I did not let wizards carry shields. That would have interfered with their hand-waving when they cast spells. Now... Getting back to armor, specifically armor making you harder to hit, again, I said to myself, what? Uh, I don't think so. I know what they say, that armor class is a combination of the armor and dodging and this and that, but I just said, nah, uh -uh. let's just have armor do what it really does. It absorbs damage. So the way I did it was, if you were armor class one, you got to take one point off. Armor class two, two points so on and so forth. Now you might think, well, when you get up pretty high, if you've got some really tough magical armor, somebody's going to have to hit you for a whole lot of points to even do any damage at all. 
Well, yes, that's true. But I realized that before my players got very high level, I said, oh, yeah, by the way, armor class now has hit points. So, yeah, your armor may be absorbing five or six points every time you get hit, but it's also losing five or six hit points of its armor itself. So eventually your armor will be so dinged up and slashed up and messed up that it's going to fall right off, which means that fighters had to spend their money every time they got back in town getting their armor repaired. And let's face it, DMs, we all know that one of the big things that DMs have to do is keep players from being too rich. Otherwise, they buy stuff that throws your game off. This way, wizards were pimping out their staffs, fighters were getting their armor done up, and, of course, like bards and thieves were out whoring it up. So they spent their money pretty quick anyway. Now, uh, mind you, that stuff about armor protecting you and taking points off, yeah, that was good for physical attacks and maybe acid or something like that. But gas, fire, electricity, yeah, those did straight up damage. And, of course, you didn't want to meet a rust monster or get itching powder, as happened in one memorable fight we had. And then it was a fight with a slime. Imagine having a slime ooze up your armor. Yeah, good times. Anyway, that's pretty much the end of that. That's how I dealt with wizards and armor. And I hacked rules for other things over the years, and I'll get around to that on some other piece. But uh, that's it for now, and we'll move on to something else. And now a word from our fictional sponsor, Uncle Tubby's Pork Burgers. Hey, guys and gals, if you're looking for a quick and tasty snack, cruise on into Uncle Tubby's Pork Burgers and grab a big tubby with cheese. Hell, grab two, one for each hand. <laughs> Made from premium ground industrial pork, spiced just right and charbroiled, the big tubby is garnished with a fresh slice of turnip, lettuce, deep-fried beet crispies, and a dollop of our secret recipe tubby sauce. Order some French fried okra and a large bacon shake and... You've got a meal that can't be beat. With 16 locations to serve you, you're never far from an Uncle Tubby's Pork Burgers. Open from 6 a.m. until midnight, seven days a week. Come on by and let Uncle Tubby pork you today. Mm-mm, I do love myself a pork burger with extra turnip slices. Now, here are a couple of entries from the Doclopedia, with the theme being Worst Smells Ever. Entry number 253, Demon Grease. Any wizard or potion master on any of the magical earths will tell you that they deal with some pretty nasty smells in the course of their work. They will also tell you that the worst smelling ingredient for a potion, or a spell, or any other magical recipe, is demon grease. In fact, the smell of this terrible lubricant is the main reason that wizards and potion masters live in isolated areas. As you might expect, demon grease is pretty expensive stuff due to its being very hard to make. First, you need to find a demon slayer, which could take quite some time and will definitely set you back a big chunk of money. Then there's the whole hunting down and slaying of a nice fat demon, which is pretty damned iffy even for a demon slayer. After that, you need to harvest all of the various demon parts that can be used magically before you can start rendering down the fat. Fortunately, almost all of a demon can be used magically. The rendering process, though, that takes a good week and is about as disgusting a job as you can imagine. Once you start rendering the fat, you need to cast certain spells to aid the process, and finally, you have a substance worth about 100 times more than gold by weight. It also smells so bad that most mages and their helpers have their senses of smell turned off via spells before they deal with it. The exact smell is difficult to describe, but most of the wizards we know would rather be locked in a room with a rotting troll corpse covered in cat crap than smell demon grease. 
Entry number 533, Venusian Dinosaur Farts. In Pulp Universe number 7, Venus is a hot, humid, and dangerous jungle planet just full of freaky-looking dinosaur creatures. The whole place smells a bit less than pleasant most of the time, and the dinosaurs are dangerous as all hell. But the very worst thing that can happen to you is to be anywhere near a Venusian dinosaur when it cuts the cheese. The flatulence of these enormous creatures actually dissipates rather quickly, but for the first 30 seconds or so, it is terrible. How bad, you ask? So foul that it has been known to completely burn out the sense of smell for days at a time, cause temporary insanity in some people, cause nausea and vomiting in many people, and even knock a weak person into a coma lasting a day or two. I hope you enjoyed those two entries, folks, and I hope you enjoyed the second episode, because we are now at the end of it. I want to thank you all for listening, and if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docaverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com, or if you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts weeks before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com.cross. If you or somebody you know would like to advertise a service or a business or whatever, get in touch with me. I'm both cheap and easy. And before I forget, like I did last episode, our music today was by the Underscore Orchestra. Our music on episode one was by Dubology. And both of them came to you from the Free Music Archives. Have a great next 48 hours. I'll see you on Friday. And as an old friend of mine says, live long and prosper. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2021 by Doc Cross.